Hello and welcome to another episode of Adventures in .NET. I'm Sean Claybow, your host, and with me today, Willow. Hey, Way. Hey, Sean. How things? Good, good. Would you send some uh, cold me- cold weather my way? <laughs> yeah, it's, Do you have it's some of that? too cold here. Yeah, <laughs> it's too cold here. You can see my big hoodie. I got hoodie yoga, so. Yeah, we're in a heat wave, so. Oh, out, wow. To, to hopefully, uh, there are some fires going on, but not too bad. So hopefully, no standard control. All right. So let's uh, bring on our guest today. Let's welcome Mohammed Osman. Thank you so much. Welcome, Mohammed. Thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for reaching out to us and, and become a guest. So we looked at your uh, website and the things that you uh, have done in the past, and it's, a lot of things seem real interesting. So I think what we want to talk about first is, you know, things about making you a, a better developer, being productive, things along those lines. So where should we start? Yeah, I find this to be quite interesting, uh, the discussion about the developer's productivity, because you can look at it from a different angles, right? One angle you can look at is uh, to become productive, like from a technical point of view, uh, by using tools, you know, things like Resharper, by using code templates that will fasten your development productivity. But also you can look at it from a different perspective, like an organizational perspective. You can try to multiply the productivity of your organization and the people around you by mentoring them, by coaching them, by, you know, writing documentation that can be reused multiple times. So uh, there are multiple ways to look at that. Uh, Even if you want to take it extra step, you can look at increasing the productivity on the community level by speaking in meetups and conferences contributing to the open source. So whatever things that you can uh, utilize technology with in order to gain leverage and in order to scale up your value, that makes you much more productive developer. So I don't only look at it, you know, from just a tooling perspective and just the code I'm only writing, but also uh, the environment surrounding me. Okay. Have you found that there's certain things that, that developers get more help out of? versus some of the others? That's very interesting. And yes, actually, I think the recorded videos are extremely helpful. So whenever there is an issue or we want to explain a certain configuration, rather than exchanging, you know, Slack messages or just booking a meeting uh, with that person, if I feel this is something that's going to repeat, I just jump quickly to a tool called Loom that you can install as a browser extension. It's extremely usable. And just I explain whatever I want, and then I share it with that person, and I make sure that it's accessible somewhere, either in a team wiki or something like that. So what's this tool called? Loom? Yeah, L-O-O-M. And what does it do? It enables you to do uh, like very uh, user experience-friendly screen recording. It's a browser plugin. You just click on that plugin, and it will start the recording directly. Oh. And does it only record the browser, or does it record the whole window? You can record the whole... So the whole desktop. Uh, you can record the whole desktop if you download their desktop version. It's also extremely uh, user-friendly. You can have it in your, uh, you know, your tripod and just click on it and it will going to fire up the recording. Okay. Okay, so cool. It looks like they have a free version, but they also have some paid versions with uh, more features and things like that. So people can try out the, uh, the free version first and, and decide if they want to go to a paid version. So that looks interesting. Okay. What about live share? Do you ever use live share on Visual Studio? Do you reckon that's useful? It's uh, it's useful, but uh, my experience with it sometimes it's not that responsive. I don't know what the reason. I feel it's lagging behind. But if it works, actually, it's really nice because I like the way they try to make the user experience similar. You know, like working in a Google Docs. So uh, yeah, if I haven't tried it for a while, but if uh, they improve that part and they make it faster, I think I'm gonna use it as well. 
And also like from, you know, working way, uh, one methodology I found it extremely helpful to increase my productivity is uh, the, mo- the uh, Pomodoro technique where you work for 25 minutes and then you rest for five minutes. That's extremely useful because, you know, it helps you to stay focused whenever I'm running a Pomodoro. That's for 25 minutes. And I want to just distract myself into Facebook or something like that. I look, oh, no, there's 17 minutes remaining. I should hold on. So you feel that like, you know, there is this cake at the end, like you have a five minutes break. You can do that. I find that to be extremely productive. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I actually find that to be harder. I've, I've tried doing it. I just don't have the discipline. I find it better for me, like once I get into a groove to just, just keep going. So I find it hard for me if I'm, if I can't do the 25 minutes, or whatever, to, to do the full 25 minutes, I don't have the discipline to do that. And also I find it hard to stop once I get the, dis- once I get in the groove, just to add, bad stop for just five minutes so but that's just me i think so yeah it depends i think on the person like if you can't get into the flow mode then actually i don't think it really makes sense to just interrupt it with a break i know some people they can work for three four hours without interruption and they become extremely productive yeah but i think maybe people that do that are productive for that period of time but afterwards they kind of have to recharge so they probably end up needing more than like the five minute break or whatever to, you know, kind of get back to some of that energy to, you know, get back in and, and do things. So the more you put off those five minutes, the more you have to, you know, bank those and use those, you know, once you finally do free up some time. So if you skip too many, you're going to find yourself, you know, needing needing a half an hour or an hour break before you can really come back and and hit it again. Yeah, that makes sense. It's, uh, it's more sustainable, right? Yeah, right. Right. You know, I, I, I totally agree with, you know, some people might not be able to do it for 25 minutes, but you probably shouldn't put off more than one or two of those those timers before you do take a break. It probably also depends on your job as well. Like, I don't know, it'd be great if you have a job where all you do is code or whatever, but I think most of us have jobs where we're kind of regularly interrupted anyway. So, yeah. Uh, yes. Like emails. No, Teams chats and things like that. So. Yes, I find it only useful like for the deep work, as you mentioned. But if you need to do meetings, discussion, uh, discussions, something like that, it's uh, it's hard to use that method. And then uh, I accompanied like in conjunction with that, I use a tool called uh, Toggle. And Toggle is a time tracker tool. It enables you to you know track the time you spend on several activities. One example I'm doing, I'm doing freelancing blog posts. And using that tool, I track the time I spend on each blog post. Either it's writing or is it reviewing or sometimes editing if I get some change requests. And the good thing with that methodology, after some time, you have data. So right now, I like I have a clear data that for every 1,500 words, including revisions, including everything, I need around four to five hours. And, you know, this helps me actually to plan. So if I want to write two blog posts during this month, then I know that, okay, I need to have around... Uh, 10 hours available during that month. And also if I want to price my services or something like that, I have a very good baseline to base that on. So it helps quite a lot uh, on that aspect if you measure what uh, you are doing. Yeah, I'm familiar with Toggle. I mean, we use it at where I work and basically as a time reporting system so that they know what project you were working on for you know certain hours of the day and so on and so forth that they use for then billing out because we're a consulting firm. So yeah, Toggle is really nice. They've made some improvements to it lately, so the interface is uh, better than what it used to be a couple of years ago. So it's, it's good for you know time tracking and reporting and lots of things there, especially in larger teams. Yeah, I really like it. I really like it. Okay. So what else is uh, good for some of those 
soft skills for developers to get better at? I mean, the final part I look at also is, uh, you know, the planning part or prioritization more, accurate, uh, more accurately. So uh, I use a tool called Week Plan. That tool is based on uh, Stephen, what's his name? The guy who wrote The Seven Habits of the Most Effective People. Stephen Covey, right? Oh, Stephen, Stephen Covey? Covey? Yeah. Covey, yep. You know, he has multiple methodologies over there, but uh, the one I mostly use and I use the tool to help me with is uh, the matrix of important versus urgent. So if it's something that's important and urgent, then do it. If it's important but not urgent, then you can delay it. If it's important, if it's urgent <laughs> but not important, you can delegate it. If it's not urgent, neither impo uh, important, then actually you can just drop it or delete it. And uh, actually this, uh, this helps me quite a lot because when I'm working on my Pomodoro timer, you know, sometimes you just get some bob up, uh, some ideas bobbing up to your mind. Sometimes I get, oh, actually I can add this extension to my blog and I am in the middle of this code. And then, you know, I just use it as external memory. So I just go to that tool. I write, okay, extern external, ex new extension to your blog. And then when I'm reviewing week plan later on, like at the end of the day or at the end of the week, I review the tasks. And then I started thinking, actually, does that really make sense? Do I really need to do it now? Okay, say, okay, actually, you know what? This is not important right now. Let me push it three months. And this way, by reviewing all those tasks and all those things, you know, that come up to that may interrupt me and having them in a single place, and reviewing them later on again is this filter using uh, the matrix I just described, drop, delegate, or uh, do. That's called Eisenhower matrix, I think. I'm able to focus on only the most important things. And I don't, you know, waste my time doing things that make me feel productive, but actually they are not adding much value to my work or to my life. Okay. So uh, those are some of the tools and, and techniques that you use to, you know, make your soft skills and your productivity better. Is there anything else that, that developers should know about? Uh... I think that's it pretty much. And uh, I think increasing more tools actually can, you know, become uh, counterproductive. So yeah, these just are the most, these are the tools I mostly use, uh, Toggle and Week Plan. I try to reduce the amount of tools. Okay. So I think you're also involved in uh, lots of training type things for developers and, you know, not only improving their their soft skills, but their, their hard skills, their technical skills. So tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yes. I like to share knowledge. Actually, I am a, I am a teacher in heart. Uh, I used to teach when I graduated. And when I moved actually to the professional life, I actually I started missing that part. You know, I like to teach, like I have that academic part on my soul, but still uh, I want to work in the industry. I want to work, you know, in technology. I'm not interested in research. I'm interested in teaching. So I started my teaching journey uh, professionally by my blog. This is where I started to share uh, blog posts on several areas, you know, soft skills, uh, Microsoft Azure, uh, coding practices. Uh, that blog actually gave me an opportunity to teach with the plural site, creating video courses. And actually, this is one of the most, you know, uh, rewarding experiences. And if I would advise uh, anyone, I would advise them to create video courses because you uh, get to learn several skills. You get to learn hard skills like, you know, how to record the code demos. And actually, this is really hard. It might seem simple, but really hard how you can edit videos even though later on you will outsource that work. But then you will need to do some sort of uh, like project management because you need to look at the, the process of creating a, a video course like a project. You will need to set some scopes. You will need to break down the deliverables you're going to teach. You need to prioritize them in a certain order. In a certain order. And to do that, that requires actually deep mm -hmm. thinking. 
And most importantly, you need to explain things at the level where the people are, not at your level. Usually, as we get more experience, we have what's so called the curse of knowledge. You know, you tend to assume just people know whatever else you are, you know, which is, of course, not correct. So you need to go back to like you need to unlearn, so to speak, what you know and start building the foundations step by step for the learner so that they get the right learning material at the right level in the right mix of theory and practice. And that's another difficult part, right? Because if you get if you put lots of theory, people will just get bored. Uh, this is an abstract course. And if you put lots of practice, people will get will gonna feel lost. Okay, what I'm I'm doing right now? I'm just jumping from here and there, but I from here to there, but I don't know what actually I'm doing. So the need, you know, like to craft all those factors together is really, really helpful. And actually it affects directly your communication skills. You find that you can communicate better, you can share your ideas better. And that directly reflects on the opportunities you get. And another aspect you get actually out of that is you improve your brand actually. So just because I am a plural site author, I got a couple of job offers. And even the jobs that where I went for interviews, when they found out that I'm an author at plural site, you know, the guy just turned out into mood that they want to hire me, but they just want to know more about me. It's not, it's no longer a technical interview. Uh, just uh, tell me how you create courses, how the experience, how the community. And another yeah, important part is you get connected to very good community. You get extra opportunities from Plural Site. And man- I managed to teach like live teaching uh, on another platform called Develop Intelligence. So I can't say anything aside from this is really rewarding experience. Yeah, I can definitely uh, relate to that, you know, with, with teaching and things like that, really helping, you know, not only teaching the people that are, are your students, but also becoming a better developer yourself. Because I used to uh, teach a programming course at one of the local colleges. And so when I had to prepare for that, you kind of have to really be prepared for not only what, what you want to teach, but any questions that they're going to ask. So they'll always ask something you really didn't expect them to ask. And so uh, if you can be prepared and be ready for that, the more you know, the better you will respond and, and you know, let all of the students learn from that. Yeah, exactly. You're forced to learn it, actually. I think it really brings out that imposter syndrome as well, to, to fight it anyway, because, yeah, like, I think we're all scared of doing that that technical training and then some really smart person comes in and, and asks, like, a really good question and you're stumped kind of thing. So I think it's good to it's good practice for that, um, to deal with that. So Yes, actually, and uh, th- this is a really important side because if I reflect on myself previously, when I used to watch video courses, I was super amazed how those people can write that code demo. Oh, they are just remembering all, you know, all the functions, everything. Those people are really supermans. And uh, I was feeling really imposter because of that. But when I started creating video courses, you know, I started to understand the trick. Actually, you have everything scripted. You just, you know, whatever mistake you do, you just cut it out. And in order, actually... Yep. Yep, that's the wonder of editing. (laughs) (laughs) And actually, to address that part on my instructor-led training, I learned some trick from Scott Hanselman. I noted that he is doing in his conferences is, I feel sometimes that he intentionally makes some mistakes, you know, just to make people feel that he is a human. And I, uh, I follow that approach as well. 
So sometimes as yeah, last I checked, I think Scott's a human. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it, I, I like his style, so I try to replicate that as well. So you know, so the students don't feel that I'm a robot or you know a Superman. I do mistake here. I say, oh, I don't remember that service. You know what? Microsoft updated that. I'm, I will need to look at that. So this will feel, make them feel secure. Okay, this is quite normal in this industry. People make mistakes. People need to review the documentation and gives a psychological safety. So if there's anybody that is out there, you know, thinking about doing presentations at, at you know, conferences or anything like that, maybe user groups or whatever, and they're, they're a little nervous about those questions that, you know, somebody's going to ask that you don't know the answer to, it is fine to tell them, I don't know the answer right now, but if you let me know how I can get touched to you, I'll figure that, find that out and then let you know. So it's always, you, know, you can learn, learn, but you can also kind of put that off and say, I don't feel so bad about knowing it because, you know, I'm going to find it out for that person and then get back to them. So that kind of takes the pressure off in case those questions do pop up. Exactly. Exactly. And actually, this makes you more connected to people, you know, and, and that's actually most important because people will forget what you tell them, but they will never forget how you made them feel. So did you go from like writing blogs um, and then straight into Purosight or was it like, you know, you wrote blogs and then you made a couple of YouTube videos and then it and then those got popular and then someone asked you to make, you know, a paid video. Do you want, do you want to go through the journey of how you went from, yeah, just blogging um, for free to being paid to, to make, you know, training videos? Uh, yes. Actually, I, I applied myself to Pluralsight. And at that time, I had a couple of blog articles that I used just to strengthen my case. Then what happened to Pluralsight recruiter, they call them uh, author acquisition team. They contacted me and they gave me like a teaching test. I did that test. Uh, I did that test based on their instructions and give it back to them. They did the evaluation and then they onboarded me to the author platform. And on the author platform, you will be able to see the course opportunities. You can apply to those course opportunities, and uh, they will help you throughout the production journey. I had no experience, you know, with uh, sound like audio and video recording before that, but they have a very impressive team that will support you and they have a very good resources. So for anyone, if they feel that like the fact that they don't know how to do, you know, the media production part, don't worry about that at all. If you join, yeah, something like plural site, even I think I haven't done something for Udemy before, but I have, uh, I have a couple of friends who did that and they said they have a very good resources over there as well. And, you know, it's just a journey. You start and uh, you learn as you go. So what kind of what led you to, to wanting to go the plural site or the Udemy route, things like that, instead of just uh, starting your own YouTube channel and doing your training that way? I think the main reason is uh, like the community that you get, you know, automatically by joining other people. And the second reason, uh, I wanted actually to learn the craft from professionals. I felt that uh, if I join plural site, it will be the fastest way actually for me to learn to get to do the things in the right way. And I'm quite happy actually with that decision because there are so many things I learned from the community, from the resources that would have taken me so long time to do on my own. And this is just like a like a freelancing job, isn't it? You still need like another full-time job. Is that right? Yes. I mean, depending on how active you are on creating courses, but in in the community over there in Pluralsight, there are some full-time authors. They are, they are able to live off based on that income. Yeah, I, I know some people that uh, have really built a lot of courses and things like that for for Plural Site, and and they seem to enjoy that and really like working working there and doing things like that. But you know, really, there's a lot of time that's really spent developing one of those courses. You know, you might make a course that's eight, ten hours of video, but it probably takes you 
months to actually get it all put together, organized, recorded, edited, things like that. So it is a fairly extensive product, but at the end, it, it comes out good, I think. Uh, yes, it's an extremely time-consuming process. I'm tracking my numbers on that as well using Toggle, you know, the methodology we discussed earlier. And I find that I found that for every production hour, I need from 30 to 40 hours based on the course complexity. Yeah, that's almost like you're you're writing a book. Yeah. You know, some of those book authors spend that amount of time as well. So, and I'm guessing there's a finite time before your the content of your courses become stale, and you've either got to update it or yeah, or, or it's just not relevant anymore. Yeah, definitely. It depends on uh, the course. Uh, content if you are going you know heavy on the technology side like for example javascript frameworks then you are doomed right then most probably it's three six months and it will be outdated if you go in the programming languages maybe you have like one two years but if you are speaking about you know like soft skills topics uh, those type of topics usually they are evergreen yeah that was uh one of our, our episodes that we did on on time management and things like that it seems to be timeless so you know, we recently, because of the value of those type of things, you know, we we re-released an episode that we talked about it and we got good response of it. So it's definitely a lot of value there that, that our listeners really appreciate and, and like. So that's good. So you, you teach mostly Azure materials. Is that what you're you're training on mostly? Uh, yes, my focus right now is Microsoft Stack, in particular Azure from, you know, software developers uh, and AI perspectives. That's what I'm focusing on. And sometimes, you know, coding best practices and design patterns, things, things like that. My blog mission is uh, making your code smart and your career smarter. Making your code smart, this involves architecture, AI, using cloud, your career smarter, uh, soft skills on, you know, negotiation, speaking, time management. So what are kind of the, so the first things that you teach about Azure? That's an interesting question. Of course, that really depends on the target audience. If you are speaking about developers, the most important thing is to start with the foundation, right? And I usually start by teaching uh, very basic cloud concepts. The vast, ma- the vast majority of us, you know, know about cloud like IaaS, SaaS, PaaS models. I touch on that really quickly, and then I start directly uh, jumping to the Azure platform. So describing how Azure work, uh, the logical structure of Azure, like subscriptions, resource groups, resources. And then usually I take them into the relevant tools in Microsoft Azure, things like Azure CLI, Azure Portal, Azure PowerShell. And I explain that there are multiple ways to work with Microsoft Azure. And after that, directly, I try to get their hands just, yeah, to get the, to get them hands on. So they can start creating basic services like virtual machine, storage accounts, so they feel a little bit secure. And then from there, uh, I teach them, you know, different services, mainly focused on running and storing uh, applications in Microsoft Azure. You know, things like app services, Azure Kubernetes, not Azure Kubernetes, that's a complex service, but Azure Container Instances, Azure Functions, and then teach them a little bit on uh, SQL Server, Cosmos DB. I don't try to teach everything, like I don't follow the uh, exam material style because I think that's quite extensive and you end up going uh, extremely horizontal. I try to teach a focused material from uh, specific aspects. And then I jump to the second part, like where I teach them regarding, you know, securing their uh, resources, some things, some things on VNets and uh, NSG rules, just, you know, to implement some infrastructure security and then securing your code secrets using things like uh, Key Vault, 
And then I jump into some discussions around uh, the DevOps and infrastructure as a code, how the whole infrastructure that you created in Azure, you can codify it using things like Terraform or Pycep. And uh, actually, yeah, before that, uh, I teach how to monitor that. So using resources like Application Insights. So I, I try to pick the most used Azure services and put it in a journey, like to build an end-to-end -end application. But I don't go deep in all those services because otherwise you need infinite amount of time. So you mentioned the exams. Um, what is your opinion of, uh, from a career perspective, um, of getting all these Azure, you know, certifications? Do you think it's useful? It's useful, actually, after you get uh, enough experience. The thing, the only issue I see with certification is that uh, you find, you know, people who are... I think they call them certificate collectors. So you look at their CV, they have a SQL Server certificate, they have a developer certificate, and then they have Oracle certificate. I don't think this is a good strategy. A good strategy would be like, you know, to work with one technology, one or two years, and then start to start getting certified. And uh, the main value I see with certifications, especially when speaking about Microsoft Azure, is they will is that the certificates will teach you what's there. They will, not, they will not make you master those technologies at all. But at least when you face a business problem, you will know, okay, I can use this in this situation. For example, if you are working on a product that requires asynchronous communication, if you have no idea about messaging, you will never think about service like Azure Service Bus or Azure Event Hub. But if you just clear the AZ204 certification, that's the Azure Developer Certification, you will know that there is something called Service Bus. Most probably, you don't know how to implement it in a detailed way, but at least you will go to the MSDN documentation, read about it and uh, yeah, implement it in your solution. And that's the challenge in Microsoft Azure, right? You have hundreds of services and in most of the times you don't know actually what's there, what can fit your scenario, what can be actually, you know, reusable or simpler to implement and to save your project time. So should developers think about if they got into doing training and things like that through different services that they could you know, make a living off doing that? Or do you think most developers should just do this as kind of a supplemental income? I think it depends on uh, where you are uh, in the geographical area. But I would say, even if you don't need that supplemental income, you know, the sense of that you can generate another income source in your life aside from the employment, this is extremely relieving and, and gives you the feeling of freedom. So I would recommend just at least to test that feeling, you know, just to generate your first uh, dollar from the internet. And actually, your life will totally change. Your perspective of, of things uh, will totally change. And one thing, yeah, related to the certifications, uh, I have a guide called uh, The Ultimate Guide to Become a Microsoft Azure Certified. And uh, in there, I teach you, you know, the relevant Azure certification for each career path, uh, my methodology in order to clear the certifications. So you can refer that in the show notes. I think maybe another way to look at it is even if you don't get paid for it, um, if it leads to a better job, then in, in a way it's kind of a pay right. Um, it's, you're kind of getting paid for for the doing that community stuff, isn't it? Really? Yes, exactly. It can give you a pay raise and a different job role, right? So if you are a developer and you manage to clear the architecture certificates, you can jump to the cloud architect role. So it's really good, but just doing it in the right time. Okay, Mohammed. So I, I think we've covered a lot of things about, you know, being a better developer, productivity, you know, work-life balance, you know, even training and, and doing things like that. Are some other things uh, left that you wanted to cover before we, you know, kind of start wrapping things up? Yes. I mean, like the final word I want to say is that it's really important to focus, uh, you know, on your learning as a developer. 
And uh, as the wisdom says, that is, uh, if you think education is expensive, then try ignorance. You can see that actually practically in, situ- <laughs> <I like that. laughs> in situations, you know. Uh, I have seen companies, for example, because they are not investing to teach their developers. And when it comes, you know, they have a project they want to, let's assume that they want to implement some orchestration workflow. Their developers will implement that workflow in a very ugly code because, you know, they, they don't know what's there to help them with that. And they will end up, you know, building more expensive product, uh, harder to maintain, difficult to change. But if you have the right knowledge and the right education, you will know that there is something called Azure Logic Apps. It's a very simple drag and drop service that enables you to create workflow orchestrations. And it enables you to replace a lot of the boilerplate ugly code. And you only reach that stage if you only if you invest in your education. So, and that's the tricky part about education. You might feel that, okay, I have read books, I have read product, uh, I read bro- blog articles. But actually, I'm not seeing that money comes into my uh, pocket. But actually, the way that money can come to your pocket is by not having to spend money on things that you don't really need. So when it comes to the moment where you need to make a decision on something that you know about, you will make the right decision, avoiding making an expensive decision. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. Very wise. Okay. Mohammed, if, if our listeners have questions, how should they get in touch with you? Should they just go to your, your blog, you know, smartercode.io? Yes. Or is there a better way? They can reach me in my Twitter handle in the show notes, or they can reach in my blog. Uh, they can also join okay. my newsletter right. if they want. And over there, I send a weekly tips, you know, on the same areas I discussed, like uh, programming, Azure, and uh, soft skills. Okay, good. And the listeners, they, they can get in touch with the show. And, and me, I'm on Twitter. I am at .NET Superhero. So let me know what you think. Give me some topics to cover on the show. If you want to be another guest, I'll reach out. We'd love to hear from you. So with that said, let's uh, move on to picks. So, Wei, what's your pick this week? My pick this week is just a uh, this is tiny game that um that I downloaded the other day. It's um it's like a beautifully kind of created little cute little game. It's called Railways. It's it's basically like you got to control these trains and you got to avoid them from crashing. It's not very long; it's only like thirty levels. But yes, yeah, it, it just looks really nice and it's quite addictive. So I thought I'd make that as my pick this week. Okay. My pick this week is House of the Dragon. So it is uh, starting to show this weekend on HBO. So if you have HBO or HBO Max uh, and you liked Game of Thrones, this is the prequel to Game of Thrones. So, and it's starting uh, this weekend. So this will be released after it's already started. But as we're talking right now, it's coming out in just a couple of days. So if you like Game of Thrones, you like those kind of things, I think that's a, a big audience probably does. So check out uh, House of the Dragon. Okay, I'm still trying to get over the ending of um, Game of Thrones, so I don't know if um, <laughs> I want to take this one on. But. Yeah, it should be interesting. All right, Mohammed, do you have a pick for our listeners? Yes, I think it's an old movie, but, you know, old is gold. Uh, it's Snowden. So what, what was the movie called? Snowden. Snowden. Snowden, yeah. Is that Edward Snowden? Edward Snowden, yeah. I just watched yeah. it, I think. Okay. Three... And, the, and the movie is just called Snowden? Yeah. I, I haven't, didn't hear about it. So. Okay. Yeah, it's a very interesting movie. And what's it, what's it about? It's about okay. uh, like a previous NSA agent uh, who did some leaks, you know, and it's it's very interesting movie. I don't want to give spoilers over here. It's old, but it's gold. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, it looks like 2016 yeah. is when it came out. So, yeah. All right. 
Let's do that. All right. Thanks, Mohammed, for coming on the show. It was great to uh, meet you and talk about all the interesting topics today. So yeah, it was good. Thank you so much. So, Thanks so much. Listeners, get in touch with us. Yep. And we'll catch everybody on the next episode of adventuresin.net. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks, Son. Thanks, Wei.